Forgiveness is the only thing that heals a wound. The big demonic lie is that time heals all wounds. Time heals no wounds. Ask anybody who's been shot. They're just like, I'll just wait. It'll figure itself out. It doesn't work like that. You need to intentionally work on that place. In addition, forgiveness is giving up control of the situation and the outcome. When we're hurt, we wanna control the outcome and we need to leave that in God's hands. It's an act of faith. And also forgiveness is making but not keeping a record of wrongs. It says in 1 Corinthians that love does not keep a record of wrongs. Now what forgiveness is, it is making a record of wrongs and then canceling but not keeping the record of wrongs. This is why he says in Colossians 2, 13 through 15, that when Jesus died on the cross, there was nailed in the unseen realm at the cross of Jesus, a list of all of our sins and transgressions. A list was made and it was forgiven at the cross of Jesus. Well, howdy, welcome to the Real Marriage Podcast. My name is Mark, her name is? Grace. Thanks for joining me, baby. Uh, this is a very special series of episodes called Win Your Marriage War. We had the honor of co-authoring a book called Win Your War, and then we took some of those concepts and applied them, spiritual warfare, in regards to marriage at a uh, marriage conference and retreat at one of our favorite churches, James River Assembly in Missouri. So. Uh, we've got for you three different episodes that are teaching and then a few that are just Q&A. Those are really, really funny. And at some point you can see that Grace and I still don't know how to resolve conflict. Nonetheless, <laughs> moving right along. And the big idea is this. Do you want a heaven down or hell up marriage? That there's two places the culture comes from. Pick carefully because that's where you're going to be living. Until we jump in in just a moment. How about baby you just share with them briefly a little bit of review and then they can know. Uh, what people are thinking about the podcast, and maybe they can do the same by also leaving a review. Troy says, although I'm single, I found this to be one of the best sermons by Pastor Mark, and I truly appreciate his preaching the truth of spiritual warfare and its impact on our daily lives. All right. Thank you, baby, for reading the review. Thanks for joining us for the Real Marriage Podcast. One, two, three. Here we go. I'm feeling good. I'm in Missouri. I just had gravy for breakfast. The, only, the first time I ever came here, I went to this place called a Waffle House. It was late at night. I don't know if you heard about it. I think it's the, um, I think it's the Holy of Holies in Missouri. It's called the Waffle House and I had gravy. And as I was eating my first Missouri gravy, this was 13 years ago, first Missouri gravy. It was, for me, it was kind of like my version of a Missouri baptism. So I, uh, I was having my first Missouri gravy late at night 13 years ago at the Waffle House. And it was very, very late at night. And I looked and on the other side, I kid you not, of the parking lot was a cardiac cardiac clinic. So it was a heart clinic for people who had had heart attacks. And I thought, this is really great positioning. I can just walk right over after I have the gravy. You guys have a lot of gravy. We don't have gravy where I come from. I'm kind of shocked at this point, it doesn't come out of the tap. I'm just kind of shocked we're not there. So praying for that development. All right, good to ha have you with us. Um, how many of you fought last night? All right, and uh, we know the people that made love because they're not here. They all slept in, they, they couldn't make it. So you're the people who fought. Welcome. All right, let me pray and, uh, and we'll jump right in. Father God, thank you for an opportunity to open your word together. Pray for a great start to the day. Pray God against the enemy of servants, their works and effects. Pray we would ignore our problems in our phones and our politics and that we would focus on Jesus in whose name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. All right, first session, we're looking at spiritual warfare in the context of marriage. First session, the big idea was everything that God builds, Satan breaks. 
In this session, I wanna talk about everything that God creates, Satan counterfeits. Satan can't create anything. He's not creator or creative. Instead, he is counterfeiter. Uh, some years ago, uh, I was a brand new pastor. I was uh, 20, I think it was 25 years of age when I first became a senior pastor. I'm 50 today. So I spent half my life uh, in, in pastoral ministry. And I was meeting with a young couple and I asked them, hey, how's it going? And they both said, uh, this marriage feels like hell. This marriage feels like hell. And uh, my immediate instinct was, oh, no, 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 no. I'm sure there's some good things. Tell me about the good things. They couldn't think of any. And, uh, and I tried to encourage them and I kept trying to talk them out of the fact that marriage sometimes feels like hell. More recently, now that I'm seasoned veteran, been in this 25 years, uh, I'm aging in dog years. So I'm, I'm a very crafty veteran at this point. I recently had a counseling session. A couple said the exact same thing. I said, how's it going? They said, marriage feels like hell. I said, yes, it does. Okay, that's, <laughs> okay. And if you've been married more than 15 minutes, you agree with me, okay? If you just got married, you don't know what you're talking about yet, okay? What happens in marriage is there are times, true or false, that marriage feels like hell. True? True. And other times we're asleep. Okay, so... <laughs> the big idea is this, that truly every single day in your marriage, you make some very practical decisions that either invite heaven down or pull hell up into the marriage. So if there are times that it feels like hell, you gotta ask yourself, have I pulled hell up? Let me give you uh, three scriptures, one from the Lord Jesus. This is his prayer, Matthew 6:10. your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What he's talking about is living kingdom down. Uh, says this in Colossians 3:2. set your mind on things above, not things that are on earth. And Jesus' brother James says this in James 3:15. He says, this is not wisdom, that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Here's the big idea, and we're gonna deal with some practical implications and applications for your marriage and relationship. When all is said and done, there's only gonna be two cultures. Right now, we think in terms of cultures and nations and political parties and ideologies and cultural preferences. When all is said and done, there'll be two cultures. What are they? Heaven and hell. That's it. There'll only be heaven and hell. You and I are on the earth right now. We're living literally between heaven and hell. And every day, the decisions that we make, some very practical decisions in our relationships, they either invite heaven down or they pull hell up. This explains why sometimes your marriage feels like heaven, because just like the Spirit of God comes down, just like the glory of God comes down, the kingdom of God has come down into your marriage. There are gonna be days that your marriage feels like hell. And those are the days that we have made decisions to literally pull hell up into our marriage. And what a lot of people think is, you know what, if I'm having problems, I need a new spouse. No, you don't. You need to just invite a different culture into the same marriage. You don't need a new marriage. Because ultimately you can change spouses, but if you don't change cultures, you're just gonna have another version of hell, okay? So you don't need necessarily a new spouse. What you need is a new attitude and you need to access a new culture. So let me deal with a few practical things, probably more than I can cover in my notes, okay? In my church, I preach about an hour and 10 minutes. I'm a union preacher, I get paid by the minute, I get paid well. Here at James River, they have something called a clock. I believe in Jesus, but not clocks. Uh, but since I'm here and I do love the Lindells, I'll pretend to pay attention to the clock. So I probably can't cover everything that's in my notes. But here's the first big idea. And the question is, do you want a hell up or a heaven down marriage? And the truth is both take equal amounts of effort and intentionality 
and bitterness is hell up, forgiveness is a heaven down, okay? We'll look at Ephesians 4. Be angry, okay? It's not a sin to get angry. There are not positive and negative emotions. There are emotions in the flesh and emotions in the spirit. Jesus gets angry and he gets fearful, both of which are in the spirit. Some emotions can be toxic, but they also can be very motivating if rightly harnessed and anger is one of those. Be angry and do not, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Pastor Jimmy Evans, whom we love, he says, today's anger is not a problem. Yesterday's anger is a problem. Not letting the sun go down means don't let it linger, deal with it. Doesn't mean you can't get a break, take an hour to pray, journal, collect your thoughts before you engage your spouse, but ultimately it means if you just allow things to accumulate, eventually you're gonna have some real problems. And give no opportunity to the devil. When you're hurt, when you're frustrated, when you're disappointed, that's when the devil shows up. That's when the devil shows up. All of this is in the context of spiritual warfare. No, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. How many of us, we say things when we're hurt that shouldn't have been said? And the key in those moments is not to talk to your spouse, but to talk to the Lord before you talk to your spouse. Some of you are like me, you're verbal processors. Well, let God be the lightning rod to ground out your storm before you have that conversation with your spouse. But only such is good for building up and fits the occasion. Um, ultimately, what he's saying here is that our communication when we're frustrated, it can't be out of what we're feeling, it has to be out of what they're needing. And then he goes on that they may, it may give grace to those who hear. Grace is kingdom down. And do not grieve who? The Holy Spirit. See, just like the Holy Spirit comes down, he wants to come down and help you when you're frustrated, when you're having those conflicts, when you have those disappointments or those disagreements, heaven wants to come down in the form of the person of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't invite him and surrender to him, you're going to grieve him because he wants to help. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Uh, let all bitterness, uh, says in Hebrews, to dig up the root of bitterness. If you go out into your yard and you pull up the weeds, but you don't get the uh, roots, eventually they come back. Bitterness, like weeds, has roots. And forgiveness is the shovel that ultimately digs up the root of bitterness. And wrath and anger and clamor and slander, this is where it gets emotional and personal. This is where you start bringing in ancestors, right? You're like your mom, you're like your grandma, you're like your grandma's mom's grandma's drunken ex-boyfriend's neighbor. You know, all of a sudden, the org chart gets involved. That's how you know you're in a bad place. Be put away from you along with all malice. This is finding a way to respond to hurt with hurt. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Here's the key, forgiving one another is God in Christ forgave you. In those moments of hurt, you have an opportunity to either invite heaven down with the Holy Spirit or pull hell up and the devil with bitterness. That's exactly what he's saying. So right now, you may have something that is an unhealed hurt. You may have a bitterness, you may have a frustration or a disappointment or something that is unresolved between you and your spouse. And bitterness can be with other people as well. Let me say this about bitterness and unforgiveness. Usually it's not the size of the offense, but the affection for the offender that determines the degree of the pain and the hurt. What this means, a total stranger can do something big and 10 years later, you're not in therapy talking about it. Someone you love very much, like your spouse or a parent, they can do something relatively or comparatively minor, and 10 years later, it's something that's the first thing on your mind on your birthday. It's still with you. Here's what forgiveness is. It's the opposite of vengeance. 
See, God creates forgiveness, Satan counterfeits it with vengeance. And let me say this, the culture of hell is the culture of unforgiveness. Satan and demons are never forgiven for anything they do. Jesus did not die for them, only for us. Furthermore, Satan and demons never forgive anyone for anything. So when you are hurt, if you choose not to forgive, you are literally pulling hell up into your marriage. Some of you grew up in those homes. Your parents, they did not have love and affection and forgiveness and grace toward one another. And you grew up in an environment that felt a little bit like hell on earth. Well, that's because forgiveness is the, is the opposite of vengeance and unforgiveness. Also, forgiveness is shifting your focus from the one who hurt you to the one who can heal you. Okay? When you're bitter, you're focused on the one who hurt you. When you forgive, you're focused on the one who can heal you. Forgiveness is both a one-time event and an ongoing process. How many of you are married? And you've, you've had a conversation about something and then it comes up later, you're like, hey, I thought we talked about this. I thought this was over. I thought we resolved this. It comes back. Jesus says 70 times seven. And in Jesus' day, the most gracious people, like the really nice people, they would forgive you seven times. And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. And if you're like me and you went to public school, you're not sure what that number is, but it seems like a lot. <laughs> okay. If you wanna know exactly what it is, ask the homeschool kid. They actually did their homework, okay? And they know how to do the math. But it's an ongoing process because sometimes you forgive someone and then they do it again. Or you forgive someone and then you find out new information about a past hurt. Or all of a sudden, something triggers a past memory. In addition, number four, forgiveness is passing the case to a higher court. It's saying, God, you deal with it. You deal with them. I'm not going to convene court and render judgment, okay? In addition, it's taking the burden you cannot carry and it's giving it to the Lord who can. It's saying, God, I can't, I can't carry this burden. Right. And sometimes it's not even a burden that we get from our spouse. It's a burden that we bring into the relationship. Before we got married, I was not a believer. I was sexually active. We brought those burdens and baggage into our marriage. Grace uh, was not a virgin when we met, and I didn't know until we were many years into our marriage that she had been an assault victim. These are burdens that we were carrying that we were not even aware of because one of the big demonic lies is, well, that's in the past. It's not in the past if you're still feeling it in the present. It's not in the past if it's still affecting you in the present. Forgiveness is the only thing that heals a wound. The big demonic lie is that time heals all wounds. Time heals no wounds. Ask anybody who's been shot. They're just like, I'll just wait. It'll figure itself out. It doesn't work like that. You need to intentionally work on that place. In addition, forgiveness is giving up control of the situation and the outcome. When we're hurt, we wanna control the outcome and we need to leave that in God's hands. It's an act of faith. And also forgiveness is making but not keeping a record of wrongs. It says in 1 Corinthians that love does not keep a record of wrongs. Now what forgiveness is, it is making a record of wrongs and then canceling but not keeping the record of wrongs. This is why he says in Colossians 2, 13 through 15, that when Jesus died on the cross, there was nailed in the unseen realm at the cross of Jesus, a list of all of our sins and transgressions. A list was made and it was forgiven at the cross of Jesus. And so what you need to do sometimes is what counselors will call a processing letter. This is where you sit down, take time off, get time with the Lord. Don't post it on the internet. If you do, it's not a processing letter. It's an attack, okay? And these things like open letters and social media and all of this nonsense, it is just demonic. It's the way that hell gets to go viral. 
Okay? It's the way that hell plugs in so that it can infect and affect more people and create unholy alliances about hurt people who come together. So ultimately what a processing letter is, and you could read of this in places like the Psalms, it's sitting down and saying, okay, here's what happens and here's where I feel, and, and this is what I'm dealing with, and it can be very raw and real, and it is canceling and forgiving the record of wrong. It's not keeping it. It's totaling up the debt and then canceling the debt rather than making them pay. It's also uh, boxing it up and putting it out of sight. There are things in your life that you can't get rid of, but you need to decide where they live. Maybe somebody hurt you. Maybe you're on your second marriage and divorced. Maybe you were betrayed or abandoned or you've got some kind of wound. Maybe there's a disappointment, unhealed hurt, even in your marriage. The question is, where does it live? Does it live in the dining room? And every day, it's at the center of all of your conversations. Or is it in your bedroom and it affects all of your intimacy and your sleep? Or do you box it up and put it in the garage on a shelf where it's out of sight, out of mind? It is part of your life, but it's no longer in the center of your life. If you've forgiven someone you, or something, you can put it in its proper place. If not, it determines where it will be and it always wants to live in the center. Also, forgiveness opens the door for their repentance and your reconciliation. Romans 2.4 says that um, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And some people are like, well, as soon as you see how awful you are, I will forgive you. Well, that's very Christ-like of you. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did? Jesus was in heaven like, you suck, and when you agree, we'll talk about it. Okay, that's not how this works. God started with love and forgiveness, and he made himself a safe and trustworthy person. This is why we can run to him rather than from him when we have offended him. And ultimately, forgiveness is choosing health for your body and soul. There's a guy named Lusk, and he he did something called the Forgiveness Project at Stanford. It's the largest data analysis sociological survey on forgiveness. I don't even think that he is a Christian, but those who practice some form of forgiveness, lower heart rates, better sleep, longer life, less intestinal ulcers. Some of you literally, the, business, the bitterness in your soul has turned into some form of illness in your body. You are one person, two parts, body and soul. And when you have bitterness in your soul, it affects your body. They are not separated, they are integrated. And some of you, the reason that you have some health problems, some anxiety, you have stomach problems, you have ulcers, you have heart troubles, is because you are bitter. And bitterness, like all sin, ultimately is seeking your death. Now, let me say something else about forgiveness. This is a shocking verse. Many of you probably have uh, been Christians for some time, but hear this afresh. Hebrews 12, 15 through 16. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. No one. That no root of bitterness springs up or causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. How many of you grew up in a family where mom or dad or mom and dad were bitter and that root of bitterness grew up and it infected and affected the whole family system? What this looks like is they're on dad's side, they're on mom's side, and the family is divided, not united, because ultimately division is hell up, it's not heaven down. And there's always a few kids who feel torn in the middle. They're like, I'm not on dad's side, I'm not on mom's side, I just wish the whole family would get along. That's what happens when the root of bitterness grows up and defiles many. And you need to be very careful that you don't vent, leak, or verbal process in front of your children about your spouse. I'm so frustrated, your father always does this, your mother never does that. What you're now doing, you're joining Satan and demons in their war and what you're doing is you're recruiting your children into the fight, okay? And then it closes saying that 
no one is sexually immoral or unholy. Bitterness is the precursor to adultery, is what Hebrews 12, 15, and 16 says. Some of you think, I just have a, I have a lust problem. You have a bitterness problem. Well, I just have a high sex drive problem. You have a bitterness problem. Well, I just have a wandering eye or a pornography or an adultery problem. You have a bitterness problem. That the fruit of bitterness is sexual immorality. And if you really want to dig up the root of bitterness, uh, it has to be done before you can heal the sexual immorality. And this is what happens. This is what happens in marriage when there is either emotional or physical or even spiritual or even just visual adultery. It's bitterness. You are not what I deserve. I deserve better. You are not giving me what I need. You are failing to meet my needs. You are a disappointment. You are not doing what I need to be done. Therefore, I am owed what I deserve. This leads to all kinds of comparison and sexual sin. The bitterness is ultimately what leads to adultery. If you, if you, if you have had adultery in your relationship and or you know someone who has, I'm telling you that under the adultery is the bitterness. There is unforgiveness. And what he says here is to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave us. And sometimes what people will say is, I can't forgive them. And what you're basically saying at that moment is, what they have done to me is worse than what I have done to Jesus. If Jesus can forgive me, but I cannot forgive them, that must mean that I am better than him and what they have done is worse than what I have done to him. It's actually false teaching. And let me say this, for those of you who are a bit spiritual and what spiritual people like to do, they like to take the punishment of Jesus and add to it their own punishment. And they will say things like, I know that God forgives me, but I can't forgive my self. You can't forgive others until you've been forgiven. Until you receive the gift, you can't share the gift. And the reason that some of you struggle is because you've not received forgiveness of your sin from the Lord Jesus Christ. As a result, you struggle to give it to others because again, you cannot give a gift you have not received. And people will say, but what I've done is so bad, I can't forgive myself. My question is, why in the world would you think that that is acceptable? It seems very holy, but it's actually very haughty. It's saying there is a God named Jesus and he said, you are forgiven. But since I'm above Jesus, I'm gonna overturn his verdict and say that I am unforgiven. When did you get the authority to overturn the verdict of the Lord Jesus Christ? When did you have the right that Jesus says yes and you say no? If Jesus forgives you, let me tell this, you are forgiven, friend. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for all your sins, past, present, and future that you are totally, completely, and utterly forgiven, that God loves you, that he pursues you, that he cares for you, that he calls out the best in you. And when Jesus was on the cross, he had his seven final words. One of them was, Father, forgive them. And then Jesus died to answer his prayer for you and me. And um, I've shared this before here at James River, but perhaps some of you have not heard it. Uh, some years ago, we were in uh, Greece, Turkey, and Israel as a family. We were looking at the archeological excavated digs of the times and places of the New Testament. And uh, we arrived at one public restroom that was excavated in the ancient city of Ephesus. And there was a hole underneath the toilet. And I, I thought it was weird. It was a marble public restroom. I was like, what is that? And they said, oh, well, a slave would scrub the person who was of a higher cultural status. They would take a sponge, they would sop it in wine vinegar on the end of a stick, and they would use it as the toilet paper to clean the person who had just gone to the bathroom. 
And it dawned on me, that's what they shoved in Jesus' mouth on the cross. Jesus on the cross was praying for you because he loves you. Jesus on the cross was forgiving you because he loves you. Jesus was on the cross pursuing a relationship with you because he loves you. And in hearing his words of grace and forgiveness and prayer, a soldier took that sponge that was used as toilet paper for the field kit of a soldier in the Roman army, sopped it in wine vinegar on the end of a stick and shoved it in Jesus' mouth. What this means is that Jesus' final moments of breath and prayer were tasting the bowel movement of an enemy of God and he prayed for their forgiveness. You need to know that our Jesus, he forgives. Not only does he pray for our forgiveness, he dies for our forgiveness. So I want you to know this, because what happens is, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Revelation 12, 10, the accuser of the children of God, he accuses them day and night. Satan is always going to bring up your past, and he's not gonna go far enough back to the cross of Jesus where your past was dealt with. So if you're going to go back to your past, go all the way back to where Jesus dealt with your past on the cross. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Real Marriage Podcast. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. If you enjoy this podcast, leave us a five-star review. We love to hear how this podcast encourages and helps you.